Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play to get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, oh yeah, we're back in the building, baby, and we've got a hodgepodge of a podcast for you, a hodgepod? We're going to talk about the bye weekend that was, visit the parody in the NFL in 2021, and particularly in the AFC. I'll talk about five things I'd like to see over these final four weeks for your Miami Dolphins. All of that and a heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins All right, getting back to a little bit of a normal schedule this week, but first, this podcast is going to be a little bit more of an off-season type of pod, taking a look at different things, talking about my own life and what I did this weekend personally, but I also want to take a moment here first to thank Jordan Reed of ESPN for joining us for a couple of podcasts on Friday and then yesterday on Monday. If you have not had a chance to go back and check out those podcasts, really good detail, really good information from one of the best in the content creation industry really and that's why he got hired by one of the biggest places out there in ESPN as a draft expert to work with Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper and eventually one day be the heir apparent when Mel officially retires a well-deserved retirement for Mel Kuyper one of the goats of the game that's down the road but just a big thank you here to Jordan Reed who took a couple of hours out of his time to knock out those two podcasts. And he's a very busy man who did not hesitate one iota to jump on the podcast with us here. And what a valuable resource he is to talk some draft and some Dolphins football. So Jordan, thank you once again. All right, how was everybody's bye weekend? The pod, I talked about it already, is more of an off-season type of script, just kind of some ideas and thoughts that came to my mind over the course of the weekend. Yeah, it makes me work a little bit longer than the normal formulaic script we go off of each and every single week here, and that challenges my creativity, but I also think at the end of the day, it gives me some more pod topics to go off of. So a little more unique during the bye week here. And yes, the bye week is over, but this podcast is normally for our all 22 review, but there is no all 22 to look at. So let's go ahead and talk about the bye weekend. How are we all feeling out there with four games to go, four weeks to go here in the biggest season ever here in 2021? Did we reset? Do we relax and enjoy the games on Sunday? Man, what a bad week to have a bye in terms of the quality of games on Sunday. It wasn't until about 8 p.m. on Sunday night when the slate actually became entertaining with the Bucks and Bills and the Niners and Bengals, two games that you were certainly very interested in as a Dolphins fan. And since moving down here, I ended my almost two-decade-long relationship with Sunday Ticket on DirecTV because, well, I'm just not home on Sundays. So it doesn't make sense to pay for it or to call and ask for, you know, reduction in prices, whatever the case may be. And there are various ways to find the games you want anyway, right? But I did want to make this point. So I fired up two screens on Sunday. Haven't done that really all season long to watch, you know, multiple games at one time. I had my Xfinity box on the local game in the morning or the... I keep calling it the morning games because I'm used to the West Coast schedule, the 1 p.m. games. And it was Chiefs and Raiders. And then I had the ticket 
streaming with my choice of whatever game on the other screen, the no audio screen. There was Cowboys and Washington on the local channel also, but I just was not into that game because I'm into the more AFC games that really matter for us. So the Chiefs go up 35-0, right? And CBS didn't flip to a more competitive game until about midway through the fourth quarter there at Arrowhead, and that's also while the Cowboys were up, what was it, 27-28-0 at one point? And maybe they didn't flip because... There were no games to go to. Cleveland-Baltimore got spicy late. Another result that you certainly were into and that went your way as a Dolphins fan. And that was the one that CBS eventually went to. And the reason I wanted the flip to to the first screen was because my second screen didn't have audio. But even after the flip, what was I left with on the secondary screen? Titans beat the Jaguars 20 to nothing. The Saints were up, I think, 23-6 on the Jets watching that game purely for scouting for our next two opponents. And then the other games, Sands, Baltimore, and Cleveland, and Kansas City, and Las Vegas, I just didn't have any interest in those games. Carolina, Atlanta, Houston, Seattle, not really into them. So not a great, again, wrote down AM slate, rather a one o'clock slate. Again, that's West Coast or me. I have not gotten over calling them the morning and afternoon games. And for the record, East Coast football schedule for the win. Like, I cleaned the entire house on Sunday morning and made my girls breakfast before the games even kicked off. You can't beat that, and I wasn't getting that done back on the West Coast. So let's go East Coast slate as the best time slate in the National Football League. Maybe the Central time zone's pretty good, too. But then the PM slate, or the afternoon slate, we had four games we cared about, right? Bucks and Bills. That game was 24-3 at one point. 49ers and Bengals, 20-6 into the fourth quarter. Chargers and Giants, I think it was like 37 to 13 at one point. Broncos and Lions ended 38-10, I think, and it it was 14-10 for a minute, and then the Broncos scored, and then the Broncos scored, and then the Broncos scored. So all four of those games looked to be really out of reach by the fourth quarter. But then, or actually I should say the latter two games did stay status quo, but then we got those exciting comebacks in the first two, even though you didn't want comebacks, right? As a Dolphins fan, and my best part of the entire weekend was my daughter kind of saw me getting closer to the screens. I scooted up and, and got <laughs> up close to my 20-inch monitor and even my 70-inch television. And she was kind of getting excited as I was getting excited as both the Buccaneers and the 49ers started to put an end to those comebacks. So that made it all worth it. And not to mention getting the results that we wanted there in four of the games this Sunday. A pretty good weekend there for the idle Miami Dolphins. So maybe not the best slate of games in terms of the quality of the games, but what a bye weekend it was. We had a nice little family dinner on Friday night at Cooper's Hawk, one of our favorite spots in Pines. Then we got to be introduced to the next step of parenthood. The good old tantrums, man. She's not quite two years old yet, turns two next spring. But the tantrums are already here. Let me tell you, they sure are fun. Can you sense the sarcasm in my voice? Caroline is pretty good at communicating what she wants. We, we work with her on that a lot. And she knows that saying please is a good way to get daddy to get whatever she's asking for. But since we don't want to raise an entitled little heathen, <laughs> she's not going to get everything she wants. So after dinner, we go to Cold Stone Creamery and she sees the M&Ms. And at this point, nothing else in the world matters. She just wants those M&Ms. But you can't just buy the M&Ms. And so we have to wait for them to get in her ice cream for later. What a tough world, I know. M&M's and ice cream. She's really battling the true battle out there. But her tantrums consist of hearing the word no and then throwing herself on the floor and doing this fake cry, which sounds nothing like her usual cry. So we will look forward to that, the tantrums, as we go forward here, Greg. 
It's a meet your parents reference. And you best believe she cheered up when she got the ice cream 10 minutes later. Again, tough life for that little kiddo. We then went to Wynwood on Saturday in the Wynwood Walls, which if you're ever here and looking for something to do, you have to go down there, not just to see the art and the walls, but the entire neighborhood's great. My favorite thing here in Miami, aside from going to the Heat Games since living here, was going to Wynwood. Had a great time down there. A lot of cool restaurants and coffee shops and bars, and, and the art's incredible. I mean, you can't beat that. Very vibrant and lots of good, you know, it's bustling with, with uh, a lot of young people as well. So there's something there for everybody. But my, my least favorite thing, and I've said never again several times about this, but my wife and I heard about this Mexican restaurant called Naked Taco, and the food was great, never mind that, but it was in Miami Beach. Never, ever, 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 ever again. My goodness, never again. Maybe I'm just a little bit too old, I don't know, but the traffic, awful. The parking garage we found said $50 max parking, turned out it was $50 flat and charged us such as such for just an hour of parking. What a ripoff. Never mind the motorcade of bikers who rolled through a busy intersection, which is just packed with people going to the beach. And, and you know, I'm not going to say I'm some local at this point, but tourists out there doing their thing. But this motorcade of bikers rolled through a busy intersection right next to the restaurant. And they were there for like 10 minutes because the traffic slowed them up. So basically the entire conversation during appetizers was out the window. Like, you get to hear their music and their loud sounds and the revving of the engines for whatever reason. I don't know. That's what they do. I can't stand it. And not to mention terrifying my daughter. So we live and we learn, but never again. Never Miami Beach. And I kind of feel the same way about South Beach. Wynwood's my, my speed. And the suburbs. And Pines. That area. So <laughs> those are my Miami things. Then after that, on Saturday, it was off to the Beasley's Christmas party. Adam Beasley, formerly of the Miami Herald. And what an event they threw there. So it was a combination of events and things to do with relaxing and knocking off a bunch of errands off the list, which ended with us on Saturday, or Sunday night, rather, putting up the Christmas tree and having Caroline fetch the ornaments, hand it to us to put on the tree, then take them off by herself just to do it all over again. So while it made the whole ordeal about three times longer than it had to be, you're not going to find me complaining about that. So again, I ask, how was your bye weekend? Hopefully, it was as good as mine. And speaking of those games, how completely crazy is the NFL right now? And the AFC in particular. I remember a time when 9-7 and seven damn near got you in every single time. And maybe it will again. Well, it won't because it'll have to be 9-8 and eight or 10-7. and seven. But last year, it didn't. 10 wins didn't. Even with the extra playoff spot and the 7th seed didn't get you in at 10 wins. Some teams did, I think. Maybe... No, the Colts were 11-5 and five last year. I think a lot of folks will make the same assumption again, but with a schedule over these final four weeks, who the hell knows what's going to happen? And, and one point I keep going back to is that everybody plays everybody because, well, there's 13 of the 16 teams in the conference are still in contention, so they're going to have a bunch of games against each other, which means guaranteed losses, right? There's going to be a lot more wins, but a lot more losses handed out to that bunch of the five AFC teams who are currently 7-6. and six. Then at eight and five, there's two more teams. And then three teams who have six wins, two with seven losses in Las Vegas and Miami, and one who's six, six, and one with a, a six L's and a T, a tie, in the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's 10 teams. And the other three teams in there, in that mix, they're nine and four. They're one game better than that group. So really, every seed is up for grabs. Every division, all three wild card spots are up for grabs. And just three games separate the one seed and the 13 seed. Think about that. That's insanity. It's never been like that before. It's going to be a crazy final four weeks. And here's a big reason for it. Let's take all 13 teams from that grouping. And actually, before we count the number of games that they have against one another, let's do this first. Let's go ahead and go through the final four weeks in total 
from those 13 teams in the AFC. So the Jets, the Texans, and the Jaguars did not qualify for this conversation because they are not in the mix. Let's go ahead and start out west and work our way back east. Do you guys go east, north, south, west with the divisions? I've always done that. I don't know why. I think Madden had it listed that way. I think the the NFL.com website has it that way. That's how I go. East, north, south, west. Starting in the west, going backwards. The Chiefs are 9-4. and four. They are at the Chargers, home for the Steelers, at the Bengals, at the Broncos. All four games against teams that are in that group. The Chargers are 8-5. and five. They're home for the Chiefs. It's a big game on Thursday night. They're at the Texans, home for the Broncos, at the Raiders. That's three of their four games. The Broncos are 7-6. and six. They're home for the Bengals, at the Raiders, at the Chargers, home for the Chiefs. It's a tough road for them, but again, all four against those teams in the top 13 of the AFC. The Raiders are 6-7. and seven. They're at the Bengals, or rather at the Browns. Check that. Home for the Broncos, at the Colts, home for the Chargers. All four. So all those games, it seems like, except for, let's see, we have all their a- NFC games in that division are gone. The Chargers at the Texans is the only game where it's not featuring two of these teams from that 13-team mix. And KC leads us at 9-4. and four. I think if they just went out and go to... 13-4, and four, that would be very great for the other teams chasing this playoff jumble because if they just went out, that's one loss on every other team's mark and they're already leading the division. So just put them in that spot, leave them there, win all the games, put an L on four teams that need wins at this point. In the South, again, working backwards, there's two teams in this mix. The Titans, 9-4. and four, And they're in that group of three teams that is 9-4 above the rest. At Pittsburgh, home for the Niners, home for the Dolphins, at the Texans. So that's two of their four games, and one of those games is against a tough NFC foe, and one of them against us as well, so big game there. The Colts are 7-6. and six. They're home for the Col- uh, Patriots on Saturday. What a big game that is. Then they're at the Cardinals, one of the, actually probably the best team in the NFL right now, and then home for the Raiders, and then at the Jaguars. So that division's a little bit different. You only have two teams involved there, so they get to play Houston and Jacksonville. You get the point. Interesting, really tough roads for both, especially these next three weeks, the Titans have the season series on the Colts for the division lead there. So they're really in the catbird seat, but also the Colts have the head-to-head on Miami. So I think maybe Titans give some separation at the top, the ideal scenario there. We'll see. I don't know. It could, it could all change. Into the North, the Ravens are 8-5. and five. Is Lamar Jackson going to be healthy? He had a bad ankle injury on Sunday. We'll see about that. Big, big uh, news out there out of Baltimore. But they're home for Green Bay, a tough, tough NFC out. Then they're at the Bengals. Then they're home for the Rams. Really two of the in my opinion, top three teams in the NFC, and then they're home for the Steelers. So only one of, or no, rather two of those are against teams in this 13-team mix. The Browns are 7-6. and six. They're on Saturday, a huge, maybe possibly loser-out type of game on the NFL Network on Saturday against the Raiders at home for Cleveland. And the reason it might be loser-out is because, well, the Raiders already have seven losses for the Browns at six losses at Green Bay, at Pittsburgh, home for Cincinnati to finish the season up. That's three games against the 13 teams. The Bengals are also 7-6. and six. They're at Denver. They're home for Baltimore, home for KC, and at Cleveland. That is a monster's row, or rather a murderer's row of opponents there, especially that stretch there against the Chiefs and then at the Browns. It's a tough row to go there for a 7-6 and six Bengals team. Then the Steelers, 6-6-1, six, six and one, home for the Titans, at the Chiefs, home for the Browns, at the Ravens, 
Maybe you want them to knock off the Titans to give them an extra loss. Then you go to Kansas City and lose that one. That kind of talks about the idea of separation we talk about here, right? We'll get to that point here more in just one second. But that's a tough road for all those teams in a very jumbled AFC North. Lots of chances to beat up on each other there as well. And I think this division is where you need to take just one team and have them beat up on the others, kind of like KC out West. I think right now that might be the Bengals. We'll talk about that here in just one second. Out East in our division, the Patriots are 9-4, and four, and they're playing really good ball right now. At the Colts on Saturday, again, that's a huge game in terms of how the AFC shakes out. They're home for the Bills. It's another tough game, which, you know, you're probably not going to have. Maybe you will. I don't know. You're probably not going to have the windstorm, but you could have the snowstorm again. Then they're home for the Jaguars, and then at Miami for a potential big Week 18 game. They're here at Hard Rock Stadium. The Bills are 7-6. and six. They have the Panthers at home this week. Josh Allen left the game yesterday in a walking boot after finishing and playing a hell of a football game. But that's something to monitor there as well. After the Panthers at home, they go to the Patriots on the road in Week 16. Then they have the Falcons and Jets back-to-back at home. So the Patriots have, let's see, uh, one, two, three of their four games against that 13-team mix. The Bills have just one. So a little bit different there for Buffalo. And then the Dolphins have just two, home for the Jets at the Saints. Then they have their two at the end there at the Titans, home for the Patriots. I think all of these teams have a chance in all of these games here in the AFC East. Obviously, there are some games within the East, the Patriots and Bills, the Dolphins and Patriots. But I just keep looking at this, really, as with every division, as so many possible permutations. It's a crazy, crazy year in the AFC. And so for all those 13 teams, I wanted to go back and look at how many games they have against one another because that's a guaranteed loss for one of those teams every time they match up, right? Except for the rare instance of a a tie, which happens once or twice a season, so you can't really bank on that. There are 19 games among those 13 teams over these final four weeks. So of the teams occupying those top 13 spots and really all in the mix here for a postseason push, 19 games among those 13 teams. How about if we cut that down to the teams with just eight and six wins, the, the removing the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Patriots, the nine and four teams. Kind of that separation zone, right? The teams below the separation zone, if you will. Someone's going to separate, or maybe they won't. Who knows? It's been a crazy year, but I think it eventually will happen with at least one team, maybe two. Again, I kind of think the Titans maybe and the Chiefs might be the best ones to go ahead and separate and hang some L's on some other teams. We'll see. So 19 games to go features teams 1 through 13 in the AFC. Remove the Patriots, Titans, and Chiefs, the 9 and 4 teams. So teams who are ranking right now 4 through 13, there are 12 of those games. So you're going to have 12 losses hung on those teams in that 4 to 13 range who are all right now battling not just for seeding position but possible playoff berths. I mean, you could have an 8 and 5 Ravens team. Look at their road coming up with the Packers, the Bengals, and the Rams. You lose all three of those and you go to... Eight and eight, it's tough. That's tough to overcome right there. We'll see. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's just a possibility that could happen. All these possibilities are really on the board right now. So 12 guaranteed losses to the teams that are ranking four through 13 sans ties over these next four weeks. And Miami has none of those types of games among teams four through 13. They have the Jets, who are not in that group, the NFC's Saints, and then a pair of nine-win teams in that top faction with the Patriots and the Titans. Is this as fascinating to you as it all is to me? I mean, both from Miami's perspective, but especially from the parody standpoint, it's insane, just pure insanity. And a few things I want to look at before we go ahead and move on to other things and talk about this going forward over the next four weeks. Number one, we talked about this already, kind of the same team's 
who win early, you hope they win late too, right? Anytime you have a big roadblock of teams, the last thing you want is everybody sharing wins and keeping everybody in the mix. So whoever separates themselves, like starting this week, hopefully they do it all four weeks, if not at least just the last three and give us you know, some separation there. Number two, I think it would be more beneficial if the Bengals were the ones that took the NFC North, AFC North. I keep saying that. The Bengals are five and three in conference. Miami has five losses in conference, so tough to match that for the tiebreaking purposes. Uh, the Bengals are, or rather the Browns are uh, four and five, so they have the same number of conference losses as Miami. Steelers are four and four. Ravens are five and five, but Miami has the head-to-head victory there. So I think it makes most sense the Bengals take the North. They also could hang losses on the Browns and the Ravens the rest of the way and kind of help out that way too. And then number three, the Patriots' next two games are so interesting because they can really go in any direction and still have a positive effect on certain teams' playoff hopes, like the Patriots and Colts. If the Patriots lose, that brings them back to the pack a little bit. If the Colts lose, they now have seven losses. The following game with the Bills, let's assume the Bills win this week. That would be a really big matchup in the AFC East for, for the division possible championship. But if the Patriots can hang a seventh loss on the Bills or the Bills can hang a fifth or sixth loss on the Patriots, both of those would be beneficial to teams chasing them, right? It's just, it's so much fun. It's so crazy to talk about. I want to go over the, the tie-breaking rules here just real quickly because I think it is very important and it's going to definitely come down to that at the some point in, in week 18. And just off the NFL site here, you guys know how this goes, right? Division champion with the best record. And then uh, it goes on within your division, the head-to-head matchup, and then your division record. When you're outside division, it goes head-to-head matchup, and then your conference records. That's why I talked about the AFC record there for so many of these teams. But when two clubs are tied together, uh, best best win-loss percentage in the games played within their division or within their conference, then games among common games, best one-loss record there, and then strength of victory, strength of schedule, uh, best combined ranking among conference teams and point score points allowed. That's like number seven, so you're getting way down there. But actually, among two clubs, head-to-head, best one-loss tie percentage in games played within the division, and then best one-loss record in common games, and then best one-loss record in terms of games played within the same conference. But for teams not in the same division, that conference record goes up to number one. When you have three or more clubs tied together, and this is among the division leaders, I believe, or within the same division, I should say, head-to-head, best win-loss record in the division, and then uh, best win-loss record in common games. So that, that all applies to schedule, or to division game, division teams, I should say, kind of losing you guys here a little bit, I'm sure. But for two clubs outside of the division, best win-loss record in conference games, uh, best win-loss record in common games, minimum of four, then you get to strength of victory, strength of schedule. So I think all this could come into play potentially. And then three or more clubs, not within the same division. I think this is very important here to differentiate. If two clubs remain tied after a third or other clubs are eliminated, tiebreaker reverts back to step one. I'm losing you guys, I'm sure. Number one, apply division tiebreaker to eliminate all but the highest ranked club in each division. So like if it's Miami, Buffalo, both at 10 and seven, and let's say the Chargers are also 10 and seven, Buffalo would take Miami out because of the head-to-head win in those two games. Number two, though, the head-to-head sweep. If one team has wins over both the other two clubs, you would get that advantage. So for Miami, if it was like Baltimore and let's say the Titans, if we beat the Titans, you would Miami would get the advantage over them because they beat both of them. The number three is the best one-loss record in games played within the conference. Number four is best win-loss record in common games and strength of victory, strength of schedule. It's all very confusing, but NFL.com has it. Just typing tie-breaking procedures NFL and you can find that. All right. 
I want to read an Apple podcast review that slipped under the cracks here on me. It just, it was up there for a couple weeks. I'm sorry for not reading it here on the podcast. If you guys want to go ahead and get some questions across on the Apple podcast reviews, I'd really appreciate it. But this one comes in from FinFan927. He was talking about a game against the Panthers a couple weeks back. He said, this win was the most impressive win I've seen in years. Last year, the defense helped us win some of those big games like the Rams and the Cardinals. We gave up some yards and points. This game plan was creative and relentless on both sides. This was against a top three pass defense, and we all know our offensive line play is getting better, but impressive for Tua to kind of complete 90% behind uh, in this offense, I should say. And we ran to close out for a great showing for something to be optimistic about from a 30-plus year fan, five stars, FinFan927. We appreciate that review. One last thing I want to do in the podcast here is five things I want to see over the final quarter of the season. They are number one, progress on the offensive line. We've seen it throughout courses or various points of the season. I think the move inside for Austin was beneficial to him and hopefully gives you a solution at that spot. These guys have four games to continue to build that chemistry and keep taking this offense to higher heights. Number two, building off what you've been successful with. I've talked about this on the film reviews. Been a big fan of developing uh, the offensive structure so far, not to mention defensively. But that's kind of the beauty of a season. It's not just like the playbook remains evergreen, the same thing you go back to over and over again. It evolves and you can build off of it as the year proceeds and off of what you produced on tape. I'm excited to see what the staff does with it as it's been really fun to watch here in recent weeks. Now you've got four games left and coming off a bye for a chance to do something to do something, I should say, with that self-scouting. Number three, break through the proverbial rookie wall. Keep it rolling with Waddle, Phillips, Holland, Liam, and hopefully some progress here for Hunter Long, who's gotten some action these last couple of weeks. Number four, health. It's good to see Devontae Parker back. Nice to get Michael Dieter back. We saw some Vince Beagle back as well make his return a couple weeks back. This team has dealt with a lot of injuries, and as some start to come back here, it would be great to see some more guys get back on the horizon as well, but it would also be awesome to see the full complement of offensive weapons get a game together here at some point where you have Waddle, Parker, Fuller, Gasicki, Gaskin, all the guys together here down the stretch. And we know that Brandon Jones, Malcolm Brown, Greg Mance, all those guys busting their butts to get back. And finally, number five here, this one's easy, win. This team, despite using up really all their margin for error early in the season, looks like the team I thought we saw constructed this offseason and the team I thought we saw in camp. We talked about Peyton Manning's detail episode, or we're going to here in just one second. He says on the Manning cast how it wasn't until year two in a system that he felt really comfortable and kind of inherently knowing where the second read was with the feel and not having to see it before you throw it. And from the video with Peyton, we're kind of seeing some of that here, the, uh, the detail episode on ESPN. But they can compete with anyone. I think they should, that should be the expectation here going forward to win these games. A couple more things. Again, the Peyton Manning detail video. Have you guys seen that? Have you seen the JT O'Sullivan RPO breakdown? I could not recommend both more. The best part of both, they both think there's more to work with there that we can build on with what we're currently doing offensively while also being complimentary of the quarterback and the offense. Peyton was more of a mechanical and eye discipline usage breakdown, which he's a big, big, big fan of Tua in that regard. I knew Peyton would appreciate Tua's game because he was such a master of the finer points that I can think, I think can often be lost on the casual viewer. And then for JT, he was also complimentary of Tua. He was a big fan of his ability to play the kind of point guard role style of quarterback in this offense, but he was also very complimentary of the offensive designs and structures of the offense. Half the time throughout the episode, he was just laughing, both because of the number of options the offense has and the conflict it puts defenders in, but also how he felt too was able to execute that. 
That got me very excited. A few more topics here before we get out of here. Uh, at King of Finland on Twitter, if you did not see it over the weekend, he and his family lost their home in the tornadoes, the devastating storms out there in the southeast or the the, the south. The it was in Kentucky. It's, I don't know. What, section of the country that is but there's a gofundme i retweeted it on twitter the dolphins podcast network's also going to make a donation to you brother so i hope you hear this hope you're listening and we want to continue to spread awareness about you guys's uh, tragedy out there in kentucky definitely not what you guys anticipated for the holiday season but please stay strong i think this is a great example of what the dolphins community is really about i mean sure there's plenty of bickering and that's probably what stands out on social media but when someone gets struck with some tragedy or adversity this group really rallies together and does what they can good on all of you good on you ian Berger, for uh, organizing the gofundme good on the other content creators and fans out there pitching in great stuff everybody and king of finland finland we're thinking about you man you and your family hope you guys are well and, and doing okay i know it's a tough situation also this weekend the f1 race did you guys see that how about that final lap i just Changing the rules there last second seemed really kind of bush to me, but Max Verstappen gets the title. I thought it belonged to Lewis Hamilton, but just the season coming down to that last race, that last lap, how rare that is. It made me so excited for this, the future of the sport here in America as fans get more and more involved, but also drive to survive. That's going to be a great, great show this season. And of course, the Miami Grand Prix. couple things left here. I have some show recommendations like we used to do back in the off-season. Number one, curb your enthusiasm. If you're not watching that, you're missing out. Hard Knocks in-season has been great. You guys know that probably. True Story on Netflix with Kevin Hart. Phenomenal drama that he does a great job acting in a drama. Uh, Big Mouth on, on Netflix. It's a com- uh, com- uh, animated comedy, easy for me to say. That's pretty damn funny, a little bit raunchy as well. And the South Park specials on Paramount+. Plus. Can't miss those either. Last thing here. Fantasy regular season championship, baby, 10 and 4. I'm either the one or two seed based upon points that happen on Monday night in my fantasy league. First league I played in in seven years. Watch me get bounced next week in the first round of the playoffs. And while we're bragging, entered Monday night football 13 and 0 in my picks this week. I'm not sure I ever have gone 100% in that. So come on, Kyler. Come on, Cardinals. All right, that's my show. Tomorrow we return with a little bit more of our usual regular season structure here on the podcast. We'll have assistant coaches, media. I'll hustle around and get as much as I can from the experts. And hopefully we can all learn something on the Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Then on Thursday, we're back on schedule with the Jets preview. It's not just game week again. It feels like it's been a minute here. It's Jet Week again. And we took the overall lead with the win last time playing the Jets. Now we can take the overall lead, not counting the postseason, with the regular season series lead with a win on Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. All right, that's going to be my time on the podcast here. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins on all socials. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. Of course, our YouTube channel for all the media availabilities as well as Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time. Fins up, Caroline, Daddy is coming home.